broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Chattanooga, Tennessee, it's time for Chattanooga Business Radio. Now, here are your Business Radio X hosts. Welcome to Chattanooga Business Radio. My name is Drew Ermans. We are here live at the Regis Office Center in the Talon Financial Building in beautiful downtown Chattanooga. We have two guests with us today. Uh, the first, uh, Joy Kraus, and uh, she is the founder of Boomers Together. And um, Joy, fill me in a little bit on what uh, Boomers Together is. Boomers Together is a community for baby boomers, people who are 50 and over, and we are dedicated to helping improve the quality of their lives in in several ways. So is this a, a, a social media how, how are they connecting? Are this a website? Is it an app? Fill me in. It's both. Okay. It's online, and we have a, a very thanks to Colab and the the genius tech guys there. We have a very integrated and and exciting infrastructure that connects us online. So then we have another part that connects us in person. So we do scheduling, we do announcing events, we do um, invitations, we do all of that online, and then we actually meet in person in, in several different types of venues. Oh, that is so neat. Now, why did you help create this? A personal experience. I was at a place in my life where I, um, I had been a widow raised my children alone for a long time, and then, you know, decided it was time to partner up. And I didn't partner up well. (laughs) It didn't last. And there I was, um, alone and scared and, you know, past middle age. And I looked around for opportunities in Chattanooga for groups that I could join, and the options were very limited. So I had a dream of just having like one-stop shopping for people who are baby boomers and above, a social site, a, an inspirational site, a learning site, and kind of bringing it all together and, and having a home for people here. And I, I think that that's what we've created. And we're now in the testing stage and we're looking to do this model here in Chattanooga and then have a Boomers Together in Nashville, have a Boomers Together, Birmingham, et cetera, et cetera. I love that. I mean, in, in with the baby boomer population being where it is, you have, you have such a growing community. Um, do you have any data to support that? How, I mean, what, what sort of market are you looking at? Well, baby boomers uh, are the largest demographic of any generation. There's 73 million in the United States. And they have $2.3 trillion in disposable income. So, and they're being marketed to in, in many cases in a denigrating way. We are not our parents' generation. We are a new, ageless generation. We look different. We feel different. We, our activities are very different. You know, I have a kayak that I just put the top down on my convertible and I stick it in the passenger seat and off I go. And I'm in my 60s. And I have a lot of friends who live that type of lifestyle. We're running marathons. We're, you know, in the Ironman. We're doing things that our parents would never have thought to do. So, but we're being marketed to as being over the hill. And isn't that funny? And to us, it's not funny. 
you know, we, we think young and we feel young. However, there's also um, a side that I found when, when I got to a place where I was alone unexpectedly again, and it was a scary place for me. And when I started looking around and doing research on it, I found that, that is a, that's a serious problem for many people in this age group. Um, and it's affecting their health and their well-being. So I thought, okay, how can we come together and, and do fun things and learn and share stuff that, you know, is, is going on with us uh, within our own group, within our own age group? How can we grow together? You know, I, it's like look better, feel better, live longer. How can we do that in Chattanooga and have it be under one roof? all of those types of resources under one roof. And so we put these three sort of holistic pieces together through, like I said, just the most incredibly brilliant people in Chattanooga that came together in the Edney building in Colab, and they, they went, oh, okay, we'll help. And so we had the tech guys, we had the marketing guys, we had the financial guys, and they all sort of gathered around in, in an incubator environment and said, let's do this together. And that's where the, the name came from, actually. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And I'm a boomer and we're together <laughs> and we want to bring people together and let's just, let's just be together on the, on the development and the execution of this, the creation. Well, and those creative folks that you mentioned came out, we're, we're at the CoLab, and you, it sounds to me like you, you were uh, just recently graduated from the Accelerator program over at CoLab. Uh, congratulations to that. Thank you very much. Um, what is the experience? What was the experience like for you? Obviously, you're, you're excited about it, but what, what did they do to help you take it to that next level? You know, the people, uh, entrepreneurs are dreamers. We have ideas all the time, and there's ideas and then there's the execution of those ideas. And a lot of people part company at that stage. But the collab is, they're the support team. They're the ones that say, we like your idea. We feel it has merit. And then they have um, accelerator programs and they take in companies that they feel have the scalability potential you know, um, quick uh, scalability potential. And they immerse them into uh, a program that lasts for 100 days. We meet once a week and we go through a business canvas structure. Um, are you familiar with that, the business canvas? And so we're, we're accountable for each stage of that development of our company. We talk about it in a group uh, when we meet weekly. And in that room are not only the people who've been accepted into the program, which in this case, there were five of us. There are people in the community who own large companies who are, you know, not only the CEOs, but uh, the CFOs um, who have sold their companies and have sort of semi-retired and want to give back. And they assign us a mentor for each aspect of the development of our company, you know, initially um, maybe a marketing person. So here's the idea. You're beginning to grow this. How can you, now what do you need? Then a technical person, then a financial person, et cetera, et cetera. But the whole atmosphere is just like, I, if I had to put it in a sentence, it would be like, we believe in you and we will do everything in our power to help you. 
and they and they hold us accountable to that. Well, and that's that's one thing I really like. Uh, I've lived in several cities in the southeast and during my time and one of the things that that I've noticed is um, there there seems to be a disconnect between almost the, the have and the have nots is a little strong, but those who are very successful um, and then those who are looking for to achieve that similar success. And there, there seems to be a disconnect in a lot of other cities, but not in Chattanooga. And I've noticed that is that, you know, those who have had early stage success have also been helped through their period and they, they want to give back too. Uh, so I can appreciate that. And the collab's a great place for that uh, uh, to take place. Um, where do you, you know, you've graduated out of, out of the accelerator program um, from a scalability standpoint, where are you in three, six, nine, 12 months from now? Right now I'm, at the knocking on the door stage for sponsorships. And we have started our social part of Boomers Together. We're having meetups. And that, that's sort of the fun, you know, let's get together and hang out and listen to music and, you know, go to the hunter and take a walk on the on the riverfront, et cetera. And and that's that's been really successful. And so uh, monetarily, now we're gonna be looking for sponsors to to help us with those. We have the people, you know, we have the group and we'll bring them to your venue, but, you know, help us out because this is a free, free for the, for the people who come. And the other part of it is inspirational. My background is I'm a filmmaker and that's how I came to this. So I love doing profiles of people. And I was a writer, find, find people in the community who are living active, engaged lives and doing cool things who are in their 50s and 60s and above. And I interview them, put them on camera, and then we post the videos to the website. And And those are being compiled into a pilot program. We're going to pitch it to a network. But people see that on the website and they start writing in and commenting and so that's the inspirational. We had uh, a gal who's a scholar. She's 65 and she competes in Head of the Hooch. We put that video on. People wrote in and they said, you know, I always wondered what it would be like. We had three people sign up for the Learn to Row classes at the rowing club. So that's what's happening with it, getting engaged. And now, um, and so then we're going to, again, look for sponsors for those uh, for, for that aspect. And then the third part is we're now working with the library and the Y and we're developing workshops and seminars that are health and wellness focused. And with the library, we're even looking at doing some cool multi-generational things like the teens in the summer are, you know, they're looking for things to do and we're looking at ways to pair them up and maybe teach some people in this generation about Facebook and Instagram. Rever and reverse mentoring. Same thing for our age group. Uh, we're looking at doing a comic book session because my generation grew up with comic books and superheroes. And this generation of teen teens are into comic books and superheroes. So we can teach each other. So it'll be a learning environment. It'll be another growing opportunity and, and another way for people to socially engage in their community and help each other. That's what it's all about. Absolutely. And what, 
where do you, what else do you need to continue growing? You mentioned sponsorships. Anything else? The next three months is going to be is really key for us because that's when we want we're building the model. We're growing. I mean, my dream would be somebody hears this and they go, oh, that's a cool idea. And it's very needed here. And we hear your passion. We're passionate about growing this community and bringing it together too. So let's help. We want to help you out financially for the next three months because I have to hire, I have to hire a couple of people now. I'm at that stage. Mm -hmm. So that's where I am. And I'll be knocking on sponsors' doors. (laughs) Be on the lookout. I'm in the begging stage. <laughs> Not begging, but just showing people how we can come together and and make it a win-win for all of us here and grow this together as a community. Excellent. Well, I love I love the idea and I love the story. And I uh, uh good luck on on uh, the sponsorships. And if uh how can someone reach you if uh, they wanted to talk sponsorship or really uh maybe joining the team? We have a Facebook page that that is Facebook Boomers Together. We have a website that's boomerstogether.com. They can reach me directly at joy at boomerstogether.com or they can call me 423-902-3599. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. And, <laughs> thank uh, you. It's been such a pleasure. Well, the uh, we uh, sitting here to the left is uh, uh, John Hargrave's been a very attentive and uh, he is with PM Environmental Incorporated. He is a regional manager and, and senior geologist, which I find fascinating. That's a uh, that's an uh, that's a really good business card. I like that. <laughs> it, it just means I'm old. <laughs> So uh, uh, you're a licensed professional geologist in uh, too many states to to count. Um, and uh, tell me a little bit about uh, PM Environmental and, and what you guys do. Well, PM Environmental is a full-service environmental consulting firm. Uh, it was based out of Michigan, uh, but we have offices throughout the, throughout the Southeast and the Midwest um, and in, also in California. Uh, but we do a lot of uh, work with property transactions, commercial real estate, do a lot of work with attorneys, uh, real estate uh, brokers, also municipalities and other quasi-governmental agencies. Risk management for those kinds of transactions. We help with assessment remediation of of, of, of chemical contamination um, that does occur um, in, during some of these uh, activities. So we just try to help clean up sites and be able to get them back into some reusable uh, function. So, you know, from a real world example for the uninitiated, I mean, it's maybe a, um, a, a mill um, who spent 100 years producing XYZ materials. They need someone to come in, clean up, uh, test uh, for environmental impact, impact studies, and then, uh, and then that can be redeveloped for maybe multi-purpose, multi-family whatever it is that the commercial developer is interested. Yes, yes, that is exactly right. And a lot of these terms that you may you may hear from time to time kind of kind of bantied around brownfield is a is a term that that you may hear from time to time in the public and the news and you're not really sure exactly what that what that is. The EPA has a has a definition that I don't know is it being wrote, but the way I've explained it is it's a piece of real estate, piece of real property that uh, either is known to be impacted with some sort of environmental contaminant or the perception is there 
that it's impacted. And that's really the key to that definition is that a lot of times it's just a perception. It's an old building, as you said, a mill, you know, hundred years old. It's kind of scary looking, you know, you think, oh, maybe there's something there and it keeps people away, developers or somebody who may want to reuse it, keeps them away out of the fear that they're going to run into something that they can't handle. And so the, and so this term brownfield became a, uh, something for that definition for that site. There are programs now uh, over the last 20 years or so that have evolved to help bridge the gap between those scary looking buildings and trying to get a reuse for them. Well, and you mentioned those programs. So uh, what are some of the funding programs that are available? There are, there are several that can be either public and or private um, and it kind of depends on the direction that you want to go. So for instance, if it's someone that's a private developer who is just going to do it himself and doesn't necessarily want the help of, you know, a public entity or some sort of other incentives, then a lot of times it's very traditional bank loans, um, or other investors that he may bring in, he or she may bring in, uh, to redevelop the site where we would come in is to assess that determine what impact needed to be cleaned up, what the risks were, kind of define, help him define those uh, those numbers. And they put the money forward and they redevelop it themselves. So that's one way a, from a public, strictly a public entity, which a lot of times is more green space, parks. Occasionally you'll get some uh, a public entity that wants to take a piece of property and clean it up with the plan to flip it to maybe potentially to a private uh, individual. But a lot of times with the public entities, there are grants that can be, uh, can be applied and see uh, uh, either assessment or cleanup grants. A lot of that is through either the EPA, uh, occasionally, depending on where you are, the Appalachian Regional Commission, ARC is uh, the acronym. They have it. Uh, USDA has it. There's, there's a lot of different of those grant programs that that the public entities can can tap into to try to bridge some of that gap. And then occasionally you have public-private entities, uh, public-private partnerships, I guess is really the best way to say that, where it's a mix of those two, where you have a private redeveloper who is bringing in some of their own money, but then the public uh, grants and the other possible uh, tax incentives help bridge some of that as well. So it's really an individual site-by-site case, how, how it's done. Okay. Uh, we're here with John Hargraves uh, with PM Environmental, if you're just joining us. Um, so where do, you, where do you fit in as part of that early stage? I mean, is that, and how do you sort of, how do you, how do you have that introduction? Yeah, it is, we are typically at the very, very beginning stages. I've always tell folks who are looking at properties who are that are impacted or they're thinking about doing something uh get us in absolutely as early as you can because there's a lot of times there's prep work that we can do to help you out us and a good environmental attorney are really the two pieces that you that you need with this um so what we help with is again determining the risk assessing a site collecting samples making a determination if there is say there's asbestos in an old building, you know, or lead-based paint or some sort of impact in the subsurface, whether it's from underground storage tanks or chemical spills from all the history of, of that site. 
And we really tried to make an unknown entity known at that point. So we can tell them, here's the kind of impact you have. Uh, here's what it is. Here's where it is. And here's how much it's going to cost to do a cleanup. And a lot of times, especially on the, on, well, on all sides, but a lot of times on the, even on the private side, that is nine steps forward from where uh, they were. And a lot of times the known entity then, if they go to a bank and they can, and they get in a bank interested in what they're doing, having that known environmental impact kind of eases the mind of the lender. And so then they're able to feel a little bit better about being able to loan out the money if they see this as a potentially successful uh, development. And I would imagine there would probably be some requirements associated with the lender to, to, to meet some of those. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. There, our industry has some very specific assessment qualifications that have to be done. Um, the, uh, there are standards that have to be met with those reports. Um, so there is a phased process that you go through. Initially, it is historical research to try to determine exactly how that site was used in the past and to determine which conditions could possibly have caused some sort of environmental impact. And so recognize environmental conditions is a term that we use. So those are conditions that, yes, it was a mill for a hundred years and they did not practice. There were no regulations that told them how they had to take care of, of their chemicals or what. And so that becomes a con potential condition that is, uh, that needs to be, uh, quantified a little bit more. And so the next, if we find those in the next phase is we actually do testing. So like we talked about, we collect soil and groundwater samples and other, and other kinds of samples. Um, and really try to quantify that. So it is a phased approach. And then if there is and it, if there is impact and you move forward, then there's cleanup that potentially comes with that. So one of the things that uh, seems to have occurred over the last several years, at least maybe that's just amplified by social media, is the importance of the public um, contribution or feel like they can are contributing to the to maybe development uh, maybe in and around their community um, what phases of let's say for example the brownfield projects um, does a, a does the public have or feel like they can participate they should feel like they can participate in all stages of it most of the time a developer especially if they're using some sort of public money because much of the time the public money has a has a tag associated with it that the community will be involved. But in order to get their public's input on, uh, you know, this site has been, say if it's a site that's been there for a long time, residents who grew up there remember it and maybe see it now as, as you know, a negative. You know, there's, a, there's, this, it's, there's this perception that it's causing, it causing issues. So the public should be involved at that point. Uh, even if there's nobody interested in doing it, in, in doing anything with it at that point, there's a lot of times municipalities and communities are trying to get funding in order to assess some of these properties. With the community involvement, that's an important piece to trying to get this funding because you have to show that the community is engaged with that. So even at the beginning and then throughout the process as they're trying to determine what they're going to do with the, with the property. Uh, the input of the neighborhoods 
especially the ones that are going to be directly affected by that development, they should have a voice. And the the projects I've been involved with, they did have a voice. Um, If they chose to actually, you know, come out and discuss it. Uh, So it should be in all phases that, that, uh, that the public should be involved. Well, and in, in case in point with uh, a, a project over in West Tennessee, uh, maybe about two years ago, there was a, a local mill that was the heart and soul of this particular community. And uh, although the, the jobs left, the community really, it was, it, was, uh, it was literally in the center of the city. And they felt like their heart was being ripped out when the city government said, well, we're going to tear this down. And so help me understand, and maybe and not specific to that case, but you know, how, how can the public become more aware of these type of things, um, both in the public and the private development? A lot of times it's keeping in touch with the local government, the local, uh, uh, any kind of other communities, um, groups, uh, you know, your, your group is a perfect example of something like that, of teaming, just getting the knowledge out, just knowing that, because a lot of it is word of mouth. I mean, there will be public announcements. Um, there's public meetings. As if, you're, if you keep track of those announcements, how they're posted in the newspaper, I know it's not the best, but newspapers, social media, and come out and, and at least engage with those. Or we can also, like, with your groups, if you're looking for presentations, uh, people to talk to in different programs, then we can also come out and do some educational uh, presentations about what these programs do. And again, that just goes to each community being able to uh, uh, have that component when they're trying to apply for federal grant money, that they're already engaged within the community and letters of support that come with those applications come from these groups uh, and the more local groups the better that they can show their support and that they understand the kind of site or the kind of properties that they want uh, you know that, that need to be worked on and how they can contribute whether it's something as simple as you know we'll put somebody on your task force to help with prioritizing what sites need to be done or you know if you were someone who had a building Okay, we'll surprise, we'll supply meeting space, you know, for for community meetings. Uh, so there's just, it's a, such a wide umbrella of activities that the community can be involved in. And just out of curiosity, does PM Environmental provide a game plan for situations like that? Yes, we actually uh, have. In the past, we've kind of complained about these EPA, uh, especially EPA uh, grant monies, not being as uh, prevalent in the South, especially as, as they are in the North. So we've kind of put our money where our mouth is to some degree in the last decade or so we have assisted communities, primarily rural, primarily rural communities with applying for that money. So we help them put the applications together, doing the research because these smaller communities don't have the resources within their, their governments and the money to be able to do this. And so we help them as an, on an in-kind basis to apply for these applications uh, with the intention for us to build the relationship that when the money comes, then, because they have to bid it out. It's any federal, you know, it's not something where it's, you know, I I rub your back, you rub mine. There's really a bid process. But 
that we build that relationship with the community, uh, with with the elected officials and with the citizens themselves. And so when that qualifications comes out, that we kind of have that inside track to be able to become their consultant. And it's not 100%. We don't win them all. But it is it is something that we invest in the community to help them move forward. Well, and you mentioned as uh, you know that you've been able to acquire money for brownfield funding. I mean, what, what, what kind of numbers are we talking about, particularly in maybe the Southeast? Typically, uh, these grants, speci- I'm thinking specifically about the EPA grants, uh, they are in blocks of $200,000. So typically an assessment grant, which would be what we discussed with assessing a property to, for it to become a known entity of any kind of impact, it's it, the typical award is $400,000. So you'll have $200,000 for hazardous substances and then $200,000 for petroleum. So petroleum, you think of typically underground storage tanks, old gas stations, but it could be a lot of other kinds of any, any facility that use petroleum of some kind. Then hazardous substances is a broad category for uh, just about everything else. And then cleanup, for instance, there's $200,000 for cleanup. There are matches that can be involved with that, but you know that's no reason to go into that. But 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 yeah, we're we're talking about a typically a two hundred thousand dollar block of money, which which sounds like a lot, but when you start assessing some of these sites, it can go fairly quickly. Right, absolutely. And um, let's from, let's flip the script for just a moment from a developer standpoint. Maybe you've seen something. You've been in a community for a while. You see an opportunity to. Um, uh, you know, build single single family residencies, multifamily. What what's that first step, and 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 how do they go about reaching out to you to or or to 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 take that first that first step? Uh, usually, the the developers when they begin looking at pieces of property, especially ones that have done it a lot, have have really been in the game quite a while. They know to contact a a, a consultant. Usually, a lot of times they will also contact a bank. You know, they'll try to get their, their team together early to be able just to help them understand what's there. And so at that point, then they may look at just doing it themselves privately. Uh, that They may look for some other public money, whether that's these grants or whether that's some sort of tax incentive program that could be set up through the, through the cities or the counties or the states uh, where they capture uh, non-educational taxes for uh, to help with that uh, uh, with that cleanup, so I mean that's really where they kind of get started. They want that vision, and then they start promoting that vision. And again, I think that's where the community can kind of help out with that. Is is if the developer is is really trying to uh, do something serious for him, that the community should be engaged and should be involved with that. And we've seen lots of examples of those, of those kinds of partnerships of very successful redevelopments. Well, and you know, given Chattanooga's rich history in industry uh, and manufacturing, I would imagine, uh, and given their uh, most recent, um, uh, particularly downtown, uh, the growth and, and and development, you're probably a very busy man. It can be busy. It can be busy throughout the, the really throughout the Southeast and the Midwest. Um, and, and I was born in Chattanooga and I, I've spent part of my childhood here. And I remember the riverfront when, you know, you just didn't go down there, you know, and, uh, seeing what's happened in the last really 25 years, I've been away and having, you know, coming back here 
starting to work back in here in the last decade or so. It's it's it is pretty amazing what is what Chattanooga has been able to do. Well, and I want to turn my attention back to Joy Krause for just a moment with Boomers Together. Um, Joy, you know, one of many magazines have put Chattanooga as one of the top places to retire. Um, what, what, why? Well, we have so many activities uh, based on our geography, for one. You know, my group's hike. We do a lot of water activities. There's you know, walking opportunities downtown. And there's uh, cultural benefits. The theater center is very active. We have the CSO. There's many, many opportunities to grow um, physically, mentally, spiritually. And and the weather is, is just wonderful. Um, a lot of people from the north are, are you know, transitioning maybe first to Florida and then back here to an area that has the four seasons because that's what they're used to, but in a more moderate way. And the cost of living is still reasonable. You know, there, there are so many benefits to living in Chattanooga, particularly in the South in general, but I say Chattanooga really is the jewel. It's just a beautiful, physically beautiful place. It's a welcoming place. It has so much Southern charm and now with Boomers Together, we're hoping to tap into that market um, and to and to get the word out that this is a, a it's a cool place to be. It's a, a place where that you know you can you know expand your your horizons, your opportunities. Um, it's a great place for for your grandchildren to come, and there's lots and lots of activities. So we're hoping even eventually to partner with the the Tourism Bureau of the Chamber, et cetera, and see how we can get the word out in that way. Absolutely. And John, do you have anything to add with regards to Chattanooga? Is it business friendly? Oh, yes. It's very, it is very business friendly. Um, we, uh, we just know there's, there's a lot of work here that, that we do from a, from a standpoint of banks developers and people who are coming in and wanting to tap into the resources that are here in Chattanooga. So yes, uh, there, there is uh, a lot of interest uh, in Chattanooga for sure. Great. Well, John, how can uh, someone reach you if uh, they wanted to talk further about Brownfields and um, of the, uh, the environmental asp- angles? Uh, we have a website, uh, www.pmenv.com, uh, Google PM Environmental. Um, uh, my email address is, uh, is Hargraves at pmenv.com. Um, and my local number here is uh, 423-468-1105. Um, and I'm in several different offices throughout the Southeast. Uh, but that if you call that number, then it's it ends up being forwarded into where I can be reached. So that those are the easiest ways. Absolutely great. Well, well thank you both so much for uh, joining us today with Chattanooga Business Radio. Uh, my name is Drew Urbans, and uh, we look forward to seeing you next time. 